this is Chelsea. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, the podcast where we re-watch classic, very special episodes from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and see what they have to tell us today. Uh, today, we are taking a look at Full House. The episode is Nerd for a Day. This is Season 3, Episode 4, and it aired originally October 13th, 1989. And this is written by Leonard Rips, who is my favorite writer <laughs> name so far. It also sounds like a description. Man, that Leonard Rips. <laughs> you can watch this on Hulu, which is weird since the reboot is on Netflix. That doesn't make no sense to me. Um, but you can watch all the episodes of Full House on Hulu. So, Chelsea, I'm eager to find out about this week's snack. This week's snack is made by Ritz. It is a product called Crisp and Thins. They have 50% less fat than leading regular fried potato chips. They are oven-baked, and um, this flavor is sweet chili and sour cream. Yeah, this is not to be confused with Crispin's Thins, which is the snack treat made by Crispin Glover and comes in clown and laser flavor. <laughs> to be eaten exclusively on St. Crispin's Day. <laughs> Absolutely, with a side of Crispix. Folks! <laughs> We've done it! <laughs> let's eat some snacks let's in celebration of all of this. Come, let's mix. We're Rockefellers. Walk with sticks or umbrellas in the midst. All right, team. What do we think of these? I had to eat four of them before I felt like I ate anything at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had to eat several to form an opinion. They're mostly air. Yeah, it's like halfway between a chip and a cracker, but like more on the chip side. Like eating a crispy cloud. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. I kind of feel like I don't know that eating these achieves any function for me. It doesn't satisfy a craving. It doesn't make me feel any fuller. No, that's the thing. It doesn't feel like you've actually eaten anything. So I which... feel like I could consume an entire bag of these. Yeah. How am I going to make myself sick on these things, which is the <laughs> object of every snack I consume? I'm never going to feel gross and guilty about this, so what's the fucking point? Well, I don't know. They could be a good vehicle for some dip. They'd be a great dip vehicle, Oh, I'll tell you what. Yeah, Yeah. you need a real chunky dip, though. I'm telling you guys. Or like a a sour cream and onion. Yeah. Something real. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something real sort of. Something uh, makes your breath awful. (laughs) Listen, I'm telling you, it's possible to get to guilt with these things, but you are going (laughs) to have to do the legwork. (laughs) So, let's talk about this goddamn episode, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Full House ran for eight seasons, 193 episodes from 1987 to 1995. I am positive I've seen every episode of this mm. show, and I've seen every episode of Fuller House. Wow. How is that? It's terrible. Yeah. I love it. It's it's the whole Small Wonder thing where it's, I know it's bad as I'm watching it. Like you feel about Small Wonder, not me. And yet- well, Everybody should feel about Small yeah, Wonder. Yeah. And yet, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Like, I'm going to. Hey, here's a secret about me that I shouldn't say if I ever want to know anybody or have friends. Uh, I hate the show Entourage. I've seen every episode of Entourage. Mm-hmm. I don't get it, man. Yeah. I don't understand. I yeah. feel ashamed. <laughs> like I've eaten real snacks all day. <laughs> ashamed. I don't hate Fuller House. Yeah. I just don't. I know it's a bad show. That's what I'm saying. And I'm going to watch it anyway. It sure. scratches some itch. I don't know. Absolutely. So, it's the snack food um, of television. I'm excited to talk about Full House 
because I'm excited to bring up a cracked article from 2012 that oh I, my God. <laughs> that I love that I'm glad we finally get to talk about. It's the first time anybody said that ever. I'm <laughs> no, excited to bring up not. a cracked article. <laughs> no, it's not. I love cracked. They do great journalism. And this article I think is, is very informative, has some good theories in it. And the title of it is why every 80s sitcom decided to kill off the mom. Oh no, no, yeah, I do remember this. Yeah. I'm going to put the link to it, of course, on the website and in the description box and you guys can check it out. It's a great article. But it's basically, just for context, the, the mom on Full House is dead. She died. Uh, she was a victim of a drunk driving accident in, before the pilot. So this sets up that dad, Danny Tanner, has to raise his three daughters with his best friend, Joey, who's a stand-up comic, and his brother-in-law, Jesse, who's a rock and roller. Yeah. So there's no mom. Later in the series, Jesse will get married, and they'll have an Aunt Becky who lives in the house, right. too. But they, Danny never gets remarried. He dates a couple people. There's never another mom mom on Full House. And there are a lot of shows that we've talked about where there's been no mom. Do they ever have an episode where they talk about drunk driving or they confront the person who caused that accident? No, there are two or three drunk driving, very special episodes of Full House. And they talk about the mom. Yeah. But they never like confront that person or talk about that. I feel like it's a missed opportunity. Go to jail or go to a court parole hearing or anything like that. It's a weird thing to make that... Is it just to make it more tragic, do you think? I think so. So this article outlines the fact that there were all of these popular family-centric sitcoms that were missing their moms during the 80s. And we've already talked about Different Strokes and Punky Brewster, where the moms are dead before yep. the show starts. This is far from a comprehensive list. This obviously was a, a trope that worked. There are two theories presented in this article as for why this might be. One is that to shake up a sitcom format in a saturated market, you can either add an element like a robot Mm -hmm. or an alien. Yes, just those two things. Or you can subtract an element, in this case, the mom. Subtracting the mom seems to work well. The second theory, starting in the 70s and up through the mid-80s, each state systematically enacted the no-fault divorce law. So by 1985, it was legal in every state to get divorced without proving any wrongdoing by either the husband or wife. And as a result, divorce rates soared. Around 35% of all kids in the U.S. lived with a single parent by the end of the 80s, up from just 15% a decade earlier. I mean, this was an actual concern in television. It reminds me that when the Mary Tyler Moore show was first developed, Mary Tyler Moore was meant to be divorced. Mm -hmm. But they feared that audience would think that she had divorced Dick Van Dyke from the (gasps) Dick Van Dyke show. That they had her run away, like uh, leave leave the the groom at the altar instead. Mm -hmm. Because TV audiences can't be trusted not to. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like fucking fan theories these days where it's like we're connecting universes that don't make any sense. That are just totally, yeah. Yeah. So in the 80s, Suddenly you have a bunch of kids living with a single parent for the first time Mm -hmm. in America. And also there's a lot of talk about drug use and teen sex and all the things we talk about as very special episode fodder. And there's a lot of back and forth about whether these things create dysfunctional families or dysfunctional families somehow encourage kids to get into these sticky situations. So in this social climate in the U.S. in the 80s, everyone is 
kind of worried that we don't know yet what the outcome will be of all these kids growing up with one parent instead of two. Mm -hmm. And we're a little bit terrified as a culture that the whole family system is about to fail. So sitcoms started presenting audiences with these families where the the mother is gone, which is a thing we're all kind of privately afraid it's going to destroy a family. But instead of everyone like becoming junkies and fighting all the time, Sitcom families say, it's okay, everything's all right. Look, we don't have a mom. Look how great the kids are turning out. Everything's solved in half an hour. The dissolution of the family unit is sad, yes, but none of the kids are permanently ruined. Yeah. Everything is going to be fine. And I think that this is as good an opportunity as any to talk about the way we're going to format this specific episode of the podcast. Now, usually we are talking about a sitcom and we are looking at it through the lens of the hero's journey. Because most of these special episodes don't represent your average sitcom. They are concentrated on one story to the detriment of the usual sitcom structure. This time, Full House says, no, no, no. We aren't giving up our structure for a second. So it actually is a sitcom episode. So we'll be concentrating a little bit more on the ins and outs of TV storytelling rather than the hero's journey. And what better place to start than also a reason to do this sort of move as far as the the premise of a show is concerned. You want to show that when the audience hears the premise, they go, how's that going to work out? Mm -hmm. What's going to happen there? And when you say single father whose wife has died to his best friend and brother-in-law, brother-in-law, brother-in-law move in and those three guys have to raise three daughters, what's going to happen there? Mm So you need some sort of like set difference that that we build the story on so that the audience can constantly be like, oh, these three guys are raising these three women. That's crazy. Just uh, in case you're wondering, the setup for Fuller House yeah. is that three women are raising two boys and two girls, two Uh-oh. boys and that a girl. It is a Fuller House. Girl. Mathematically speaking, Chelsea, that is a they Fuller House. It. They flipped the script. Um, so let's get into this goddamn episode <laughs> yes. then. All right. So first things first, we have what's called a cold open. Now, this mm-hmm. is in a TV show. This is anything that happens before the main action, usually before the credits. And it's Michelle is in a little toy car and she says, it's broken down and Joey's going to help her quote unquote fix it. She's a toddler. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little walk around car where she, you know, she's pedaling it and, or her legs stick out the bottom, Fred Flintstone style. (laughs) Yeah. And he, and Uncle Joey fixes the broken car by snuggling her. Mm -hmm. It's very cute. And also sets up in terms of, you know, I am going to toss in the hero's journey, Bon Mo, where they apply. This sets up the ordinary world. This is a family that fixes things with snuggling. Also, a family that kind of creeps me out when they're like, you forgot to pay your bill and pay in kisses and the changes in kisses. I don't know. It just weirds me out. Yeah. This is like a whole sidebar about kissing on the mouth within families. Some families do and some families don't. And on TV, it always seems weird because you know those people are actually not related. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's like you aren't. Really? really family. Yeah. Yeah. Stop this. Someone stop this from yeah. happening. That man is kissing that little baby. <laughs> so then uh, fixes the car. There's the, the exchange of legal tender and kisses, <laughs> legal tender, loving care. Oh. Hi, fucking fine. <laughs> Woo! You can't see me, but I'm running around the room with my arms up raised. What's that? A trophy? Thank you very much. Best podcaster ever. <laughs> Number one. Play my national anthem. So um, then Michelle... <laughs> 
<laughs> then Michelle pulls away and immediately crashes into the stairs because child stars are troubled. <laughs> yeah, she can barely drive. She's two. So that's all we got. We just need like a laugh to let us know we're going to laugh in this episode. Yeah. And also this family is kind. Yeah. You know, they fix things with snuggling. There you go. And then um, we're into the opening credits. And I know Chelsea has a lot to say about this. I don't have much to say except that it's freaking iconic. It has made the location the, that the house is supposedly on in San Francisco next to Alamo Park mm. super photographed every time I've been to San Francisco and driven past there or, you know, the time I went specifically to take a picture there. Yep. There were a ton of people taking a picture of the yep. front of this house, which is a private home. The one time and- Andy and I went to San Francisco together, he did let me sing the theme song as we drove across the Golden Gate Bridge. That's that's a bit that's a bit of uh, revisionist history. We hit the Golden Gate Bridge. You turned off the music that I think <laughs> I was playing. You plugged in your own music and you blared the goddamn Full House theme song. I I let you sing. <laughs> I'm surprised you let me stay in the car. Or didn't pick up a few kids for continuity's sake. You wanted to relive this so bad. Well, I gave you a lot more credit than you deserve, clearly. I guess so. (laughs) Don't do that again. Uh, And I recently went on a trip to Seattle and came back via the Golden Gate Bridge. And do you know what I listened to while I was on the Golden Gate Bridge? The theme song to Full House? I don't remember because all I could think about (laughs) was that moment where you blared the theme song from Full House. I'm sure it was a great song, but all I was thinking was, Ah! Yeah, see? You didn't need to listen to it. Everywhere you It was you in look. your heart. Speaking of singing along, mm-hmm. the very next thing we have after the theme song is a fat-shaming acapella sing-along <laughs> in the basement. So we are into Act 1, and in Act 1, we're going to set up all of the stories that we have, but usually we have a little bit of fun before we get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and our little bit of fun is, what, Whoa. seven dudes in a basement yeah. singing a weight loss jingle. Yeah, Uncle Jesse and his... His bandmates have sprayed their hair, acid washed their jeans, and they're here to practice the most cringeworthy jingle imaginable that is also just a straight up Beach Boys ripoff. Yeah, by the way, everybody, John Stamos was in the Beach Boys. Never forget. Yeah, like, what does the creator of Full House have on the Beach Boys? It must be very incriminating. See, I always feel like it's John Stamos reminding people that John Stamos is in the Beach Boys. He was the drummer for the Beach Boys. Well, but the Beach Boys themselves are like in a couple of episodes. They talk about them all the time. They've straight up ripped off Fun, Fun, Fun They sing this jingle. Kokomo because John Stamos plays with them in one episode. No, I know that, but I just, it doesn't mean they have to keep showing up. I No, you, you don't understand. We're saying two different things. You're saying, why do the writers keep doing this? And I say, John Stamos keeps doing <laughs> just this. He keeps sending them fruit baskets like, to hey, the writer's room. Hey They're guys, like, hey, can we make a Beach Boys reference? What if there's a Beach Boys reference in this one? But the the jingle that's set to the tune of Fun, Fun, Fun is just this fat shaming. And then at the very end, Jesse says, do you think that'll make people want to go on a diet? So it's not even like they're like, oh, sorry, did that make you feel bad about yourself? We didn't mean that. It's it's a jingle. The fucking lyrics are, if she loses weight now, she'll, she'll look, look really, really great, great now. now. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you, the Beach Boys, and fuck you, Jingles. And, we, and then they throw, like, the, the, they throw a shell in there to say bye-bye fat, which makes it sound really shitty. Doesn't make any sense not, at, not all. at all. It's a shame that they start this episode about bullying off in this way. I think exactly. Because now we have to forget this happened in order to let Uncle Jesse be the moral authority on the bullying. The guy who wrote and sang <laughs> this song about <laughs> bullying does a 180, a shitty 180. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. By the way, when when he, they then dismiss all of the singers because I guess rehearsal's over, and Jesse <laughs> says to one of them, "Work Joey. on your hair." Oh yeah, yeah. And I don't think that that was a character choice. <laughs> I think that was no. just John Stamos being like, Look, "Work on your hair." Yeah. Professional to professional. Work on your <laughs> work hair. on your hair. So the next thing that happens after all of the hairsprayed men leave, the fat shaming, the fat shaming's over. DJ joins us. DJ is 12 in this episode. Her 13th birthday episode's coming up soon. And she announces that she has to follow a member of the family around for a day and write a report about that person. And she's decided to follow two-year-old Michelle. Yeah, she thinks that this is going to be the easiest and most fun person to follow around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's so excited. And then Michelle says, come with me. And she's like, where are we going? And she goes, my room now. And it's like, it's kind of off-putting. Yeah, so the this is secondaries. set up a plot line here. Yeah, so the first, that's what the first act is all about. It's setting up all of the stories that we're going to be concentrating on. The order in which we set up doesn't matter as far as importance is concerned. It's just whichever ones come up first. This will end up being the B story to the A story, which is obviously the overarching story that we're, we're going to do. If it's good enough of an episode... Eventually, the B story and sometimes the C story will tie back into the A story for one complete lesson. It's very satisfying, but mostly it's just here's three stories. Right. So you don't Spoiler get bored. alert. Yeah. This episode of Full House, none of these storylines have no. anything to do they with live each in, other. They live in different area codes. Okay, yeah, so this is going to be the B story. DJ needs to do a report on her sister, Michelle, who she's going to follow around all day, and it's implied there's a little bit of trouble on the horizon. Yeah, great. I'm sure this is going to be hilarious. And then we don't waste any time. Stephanie is is next to March downstairs. Stephanie is like seven or eight. Yeah, something like that. In this episode. It's middle school, right? Yeah. She comes home from school, or elementary school, really. Yeah. She's young. She comes home from school. Yes, she's been kept in basically kitty detention (laughs) because all the kids were calling her classmate Walter Berman Duckface. Duck so face. she joined in and the whole class was punished for bullying. Uncle Jesse, musical fat shamer, <laughs> says that because everyone else is teasing someone doesn't make it okay for you to tease someone. Exactly. Uh, only if they're paying you apparently is it okay for you to tease someone for what they look like. If somebody pays you to do it and you can set it to a Beach Boys jingle, then go, go to go town. For it. Yeah. And Jesse is like, you can't bully people you're going to have to call. Oh, he, he also tells the story about how he was bullied as a yeah, kid. Yeah, he was teased. He was called Zorba the Geek. Yep, because he's Greek. Again, we don't ever forget he Never was in forget. the Beach Boys or that he's Greek. And here's the well, thing. Well, Jesse is the epitome of cool, right? Uncle Jesse is the coolest guy on earth. It's so the true. fact that he was teased is really news. And he says, those kids really hurt my feelings and, and tell Stephanie she should call Walter and apologize. And the whole scene, Joey is yucking it up oh, yeah. about Jesse getting the one character in this entire show who should really be against bullying since they are the most bullyable character ever. You mean ever. the grown man that has a puppet with him in half the episodes. And talks like Popeye? Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> that one should really be concerned about mean things being said to them. Yeah. Instead, he can't laugh hard enough at but poor Jesse and this duck face kid. So yeah, he's like, you gotta call this kid. Which is, in terms of the hero's journey, the call to adventure. It sure is. It's um, a literal, it's a telephone call to adventure. Yeah, telephone call to adventure. <laughs> Stephanie comes from a family of kind people who solve things by snuggling, and she has crossed into this special world where she is not a kind person. Yeah. And so So in order to be part of her family again, she needs to reconcile. She needs to make it right. Absolutely. Right after this, Danny comes home with a real stupid line. Dorothy was right. There is no place like home. Right. Shut up, Danny. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> shut, shut up. He had Nobody, to say something. We're not, we're not buying it. Yeah. And then we introduce the C plot. Like we are, and we are boom, boom, boom. We're wait first quickly. Yeah, sure. There's a refusal of the call because Stephanie tries to get out of calling Walter by appealing to her dad. Oh, absolutely. And Danny says Jesse is handling this just right. You you can't be mean. You can't tease people. You need to call this boy. So she's not ready. She's on the journey, but she's not ready to accept just yet. But then she's told there's no getting out of it. You're gonna have to call him. So then we we get the C story out of the way. The C story is usually called a runner, which is just. We're going to have these scenes that are purely comical. We'll check in on them once in a while. So the way we're setting this up is our A story is a character learns a lesson. And the action of the episode is determined by that character. B story is usually a character learns something about another character. You come to an understanding and you accomplish a goal. C story is somebody's doing a thing. Okay, and the C story in this case is? Danny is, uh, his co-host is going to be out for a week, and he wants Joey to be his co-host. Yeah. Because he thinks it's a great opportunity, and it'll be a lot of fun, and Joey gets to plug his comedy show. Yeah, which is all good, except that Joey and Danny have a real odd couple, sort of. Even though they're best friends, Joey's kind of flaky and zany, and Danny's Mm. real buttoned up and type A, and so there's, uh, like you said, with the B storyline, and there's this idea of like, this is probably going to cause more problems what than it fixes. What could go wrong is yeah. usually what you could say about the setup to any uh, B or C story. Yeah. And that's it. We have all the plots set up. We're ready to go. And we are, what, yeah. about two scenes into this. Right. One and a half scenes into this and we're good to go. Quickly, we check in on our B plot line. Michelle is doing boring things. She's talking to stuffed animals, etc. And DJ's exhausted from following her yeah. around, wants to take a nap. And also, they're in, whose room are they in here? Is this DJ's this room? Is, uh, this is, oh gosh, in this early... At some point, there's a reconfiguration. Mm. I feel like the room they're this in is, DJ's is room. DJ and Stephanie's room, and yeah. Michelle has her own room when she's Which a baby. The and then later, DJ gets her own room, and Stephanie and Michelle move in together. Needless to say, this room looks like somebody sloppily murdered the late 80s and made no attempt to cover it up <laughs> because it's on the walls, on the floor, on the bed, everywhere you look, 80s, 80s. It's aggressively pink. The horror. It's, it's aggressively lots of things. Um... That's that's it. We just check out on the base story. It's tough. She's having trouble keeping up. It's a little wacky. Yeah. Let's move on. We're now going to cross the first threshold. They answer the call to adventure by calling Walter Berman, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Duckface. Uncle Jesse has found Walter's phone number and hands Stephanie a phone shaped like a pair of lips, which yeah. is like strangely sexual to me in a child's bedroom. Yeah. She calls Walter and apologizes for teasing him and quacking at him and throwing little pieces of bread at him. Well, what a fucking monster, <laughs> by the me way. Laugh out loud. What? That, Is no, that because you're horrible? No, no, no. Not at, the, not at that, at Jesse's reaction as oh, he's yeah. listening to her. And then he says, Steph, he's not a real duck. And that <laughs> no. made me laugh out loud. That for sure. Yeah, she's really buried the lead, which is uh, she's apparently had a psychotic break. <laughs> Throwing that around. She's acting as though she were on the spectrum of sociopathy. <laughs> wow. Um, this is really good. This is good. We get 30 minutes into it. And, 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 so you went, that was good. That's good. That's an improvement. Someday I'll get to the entire end of the episode and be like, by the way, psycho killers, goodbye. My quota is met. It's projection. Uh, Serial Killers of America, we're available for sponsorship. <laughs> if you want to really improve your image and normalize yourself. So- in keeping with what you're talking about, the first threshold, 
The way that TV is set up, at least in this era, is a two-act structure, act one and act two. And basically what happens is you have a character who does something. That something causes a problem. In this case, Stephanie's bullied somebody. That's a problem that she has to fix. The first attempt is not successful. Right. On a hero's journey perspective, I would say she's performing the actions of a kind person, but she clearly doesn't mean it. Yes. And so the actual journey she's on is to become kind and empathetic and sympathetic again. To do the right thing exactly. is where we'll end up. But So she's only done this because Uncle Jesse's sitting right there and yeah. he made her do it. Mm-hmm. It's clear she doesn't mean it, as I said. So this has not made her kind again, just not this act of calling and apologizing. So we know she has further to go. And it is that lack of confronting the real situation that will provide how the problem gets worse. So this is us going into the next scene. Yeah. Oh, Jesse, Jesse makes her say to Walter, you're a very nice boy. Like specifically that. Yeah. So foreshadowing, I guess. Yeah. Which seems plausible, but sure. nice thing to make well, a kid say to another is, kid. How is she going to know that this is going to trigger him Manchurian candidate style? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> next scene, we're in the living room and we get back to that runner. It's the next morning. Yep. Danny's ready to go, but Joey is running late. Two minutes late. Two minutes late. Okay, we've checked in on that storyline and we're done. And that's it. Yep. They make a quick joke and they're out. So then Walter arrives. He is comporting himself like a tiny accountant. Here's the thing. Walter is played by Whit Hertford, who is a child actor who is notorious for creepy roles. Not a child accountant? Not a child accountant. Not till later in life. He was in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. He uh-huh. was the titular dream child. Part 5, huh? The, oh, yeah. Five <laughs> out of, I think, eight or nine now. So he was in Poltergeist 2, and I did some research. Mm. You're welcome. He made his professional debut debut in a video called Lay It Down by rock band called Rat, where he plays a birthday kid who is about to blow out his candles, and somebody's like, make a wish, birthday kid. He blows out the candles, and apparently his wish was to see a poorly constructed 80s video starring Rat, which he <laughs> certainly does. And it's everything that he could have wished for, which he shouldn't have at all. So, I felt Walton, like he looked familiar. He does. He's definitely... He, he and this other actor named Miko Hughes were like, who was in Pet Cemetery mm-hmm. and other things like that, were, look at this kid. We can make this kid look creepy. Cool. Creepy kid. Uh, he is doing a pursed lip duck face, which is made fun of in this, but is truly 15 years ahead of its time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> this yeah. This kid. Soon everyone in America will be making that face and taking pictures of themselves with making that face. That's and right. Putting them on social media. And 30-something uh, uh, Walter is going to be like, I told you all. Yeah. I told you. So I was a very nice boy. <laughs> so I was. Far. Yeah, he's come by to, to thank Stephanie for the, the apology. Yes, and she says it was just something I had to do. Exactly. Double entendre. Meaning like, oh, he thinks she means that I had this immoral imperative from inside myself. And what she actually means is my uncle was sitting there making me do this. And then he has taken her previous statement that he's a very nice boy too literally and assumes that they are now dating. And Stephanie does not disabuse him of this notion, though she clearly is uncomfortable. He puts his arm around her. She doesn't say, 
oh, no, 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 you misunderstood. We're not well, dating. First, she's he has a child. To, but- he has to look at her and say, Walter plus Stephanie equals love forever. And that's our act break. We see how the character's problem and the way they've tried to fix it have blown up in their face. Right. And we end the act there. And so I know we're doing, like, funny jokes about make-em-ups here, <laughs> but... I was... Uh, was that funny jokums about make ups Well, up to this point, I've been kind no, of... No, no, the term is fantastic. I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. I'm just giving you a compliment. I'm oh. so sorry. I'll go. <laughs> I'll, I'll be on my way. Let me pack up my, my hobo bindle. <laughs> pack up my mic and go. <laughs> uh, jokums about make ups Yeah, so... <laughs> good. It's good. Hey, friend. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Fuck. No, I was on board with this lesson kind of up to this point. Like, uh, well, the idea of you don't just get to make fun of people because everyone else is doing it. Yeah. And you should have to call and apologize to that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of this is f- fine. This point, it starts to feel weird for me because, and maybe it's going to work out fine in the end, but in this exact moment, halfway through, what we're being shown is some version of girls don't give nerdy boys compliments or be nice to them or else you have to date them. Yeah. And boys, if a girl says something nice to you, just go ahead and put your arm around her without her consent. She won't stop She'll you. She'll go along with yeah, it. Yeah, it's really kind of not great all around this exact moment in time and the fact that Stephanie doesn't say, like, don't, I didn't say stop. that. Yeah, like, stop yeah. right there. Well, what they want to do is they want to morph the lesson from bullying into doing the right thing and being honest. Which is a weird transition to make, and you end up with what's a madcap situation, but also kind of a different situation. Yeah. And, you know, from personal experience, I can tell you, dudes are not going to fall for this secret girlfriend more than, like, five times. <laughs> Seven times Yeah, the Yeah, so the secret girlfriend is what happens. Stephanie, instead of saying we aren't dating, says that she's his... Uh, top secret girlfriend and Walter is too young to realize this is an absolute burn and <laughs> and uh, that no one at school can know about the uh, the girlfriend boyfriend situation. Yeah. Also, I, top secret things, super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Isn't that exciting? Doesn't that make our love exciting? I wish that you know if we were latter latter season season six or so maybe Aunt Becky could swoop in at this point and tell Stephanie about consent and that no maybe. girl is under the obligation to date or do anything else with a boy to spare his feelings or keep him from embarrassment. But that's, that's not, not happen. happening right now. So yeah. rather than I guess have an uncomfortable conversation about how she doesn't want to date him, Stephanie is just trying to She's make sure live no a one lie else knows. <laughs> yeah, she's gonna live a secret life. And then I I'm. At this point, I feel bad for Walter. He's been bullied. He obviously has a a facial deformity of some kind. And he's misunderstood something, which one way or the other, it just makes me feel like, oh, Walter is like, he's taking any compliment as like an overture of love. Yeah. But then he says, do you know what I'm doing right now? I'm giving you a secret kiss in my mind. And I want Walter to leave the episode forever. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you need to go, Walter. No, yeah. no, keep walking. Yeah. <laughs> that sort yeah. of shit plays on step Walter. by step, but not here. <laughs> uh, this is supposed to be a safe space. <laughs> yeah. It's a full house, not a murder house. <laughs> like, okay, Sexual harassment house. Um, so we check in on DJ and Michelle now. B story, it's getting worse for them. Shenanigans. But here we are. This is actually the sort of climax of this. We're second scene of the second act, 
And DJ's chasing Michelle around. She's like, no, my paper's important. Michelle's trying to have fun. Michelle's grabbed the paper. Yeah, she she's holding her paper. DJ and chasing her hits her leg, and they stop, and Michelle is like, I'm sorry. And gives and fixes it with a kiss. And she's a big awe moment from the audience. Yeah. And then they get back to it. They takes the paper and starts running around again. But that's kind of, I mean, there's yeah. a resolution there, but that's the climax of uh, story uh, B. And then Stephanie storms into Uncle Jesse's room and says, this just happened with Walter. And mm-hmm. here is Jesse's chance to say, you don't have to be Walter's girlfriend if you don't want to be. But instead he says nothing and she leaves the room. She also mentions that she is steamed at some point, which I find hilarious. Yeah. That a small child is like, I'm steamed about this. <laughs> As though she's an old man in the paper biz. <laughs> On a riverboat. <laughs> <laughs> So then we go from there where we've heightened this problem. Now we're seeing the complications of the problem after the first solution is attempted. And we go to the runner because we need a break from this, you know, high point Mm -hmm. in the A story. What better to do than the wacky adventures of the C story where we are on the morning show and Joey is late. Yeah, he's not a very good co-host. No, There's a lot of tension here. He's on set somewhere, but they're starting the show and he's not sitting in his chair and he's late. He does manage once he arrives to get his cut it out catchphrase in there a couple times. Audience chuckles. This is a big catchphrase. It lives on to this day and plug he manages to plug his comedy show like and three times it's obviously this is not working and out. there's a lot of tension danny is steamed as it He's, were oh man family steamed and in a in a, a bunch b- of clams in a move that i feel like <laughs> bunch of clams um in a move that i feel like is an easter egg someone left for us for this podcast 31 years ago the guest on What's Up, uh, Wake Up San Francisco today has written a book called Hug Your Way to Happiness, and he's a hug therapist. Yeah. And I was like, that's for us, hugging and learning. Yeah, he's, if I was introducing him, I would introduce him as hug therapist and my personal nightmare, <laughs> Dr. So-and-so. Uh, and Danny's like my personal hero, which I'm immediately against Danny now. <laughs> so he hugs everybody because that's his thing, man. Right. He senses through their hugs mm-hmm. that there is tension. Yeah, well, there is suppressed anger coming off Danny in waves here. Yeah, he could also use his eyes if he <laughs> wanted to. You don't have to make physical contact to notice somebody's uncomfortable. Yeah, and Joey and Danny start arguing about this this odd couple thing they have, which yeah. is, is it better to be a free spirit or a neurotic stick in the mug? Creepy McHug Doc stops yeah, them. Yeah, he makes them jump up and hug it out and... This works. And it's like this fight is basically the engine that drives most of the comedy on the show. Sure. So it's not like anyone's going to actually resolve it or change no. anything. It's it's almost like let's have them uh, read each other's character descriptions <laughs> uh, in an angry way. You're this. You're and, that. And then hug. Yeah. Late 30s. <laughs> <laughs> just, just business casual. <laughs> and then hug it out. It's kind of, it's... You're a real Robin Williams type. Oh, yeah? You're a real young Will Smith type. Oh, yeah? (laughs) I want that to happen so often now. Uh, And that's really it. That's the end of the sea story. Yeah, this has been nothing. Two and done. (laughs) So, but we've had our, we've had our our, uh, fun laugh with a side order of we learned something sort of. Hugs. Uh, Side order of Hugs. And we go back to the kitchen uh, where Michelle is trying to eat a big sandwich. Yeah. Physical comedy. That sandwich is twice the size of her face. So we've wrapped up story C. We got to wrap up the B plot. DJ comes in and she says she got an A on her paper. Yeah. 
And she has learned that Michelle is now grown up enough to be kind of a little person. Yeah. And calls her smarter than most dogs. Yeah. And she says, oh, you have like a little personality and you're compassionate and you're kind and you kiss my boo-boo when I fell down. And Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's cute. She's gone from the beginning of the episode where she's like, I need somebody who's concentrated on fun and nothing yeah. else to this is a vaguely nuanced tiny child. Look at her. She looks like she just tried to eat a big sandwich (laughs) like a a dog might, (laughs) like some dogs would do. It's cute. And so now we have the C and B plot lines wrapped up. So we've got to concentrate on getting this A1 summed up and we are not in a great place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stephanie comes home from school complaining about Walter. Who has mind kissed her all day. God, so creepy. I feel like I would have reported that to the teacher. That sounds like something a Star Trek villain would do. (laughs) Uncle Jesse says that apologizing to him was the right thing to do. And she says if it was the right thing to do, why is my life a mess? And he counters, I think poignantly, that just because you do the right thing doesn't mean your life is going to be perfect. You do the right thing because it's the right thing. And sometimes it leads to problems like this. And then it's followed by Uncle Jesse saying, Stephanie should nicely tell Walter that she's not his girlfriend. Right. And I don't want to really get into like male fragility and girls always having to be nice to boys and all that stuff again. So I will just say I'm glad he told her anything at all about turning Walter down. So she thinks that her friends are there. They're going to do a bug experiment. Sure. Yeah, great. She goes to the door and it's Walter and he's brought flowers. And she's like, he can't be here. So like you would with anybody you're trying to get to leave the house. Uh-huh. Later, when I try to leave your apartment, you will hold my hand. And walk you to the door. And walk me to the door yep. slowly. Do we kiss? Only in our minds. In our minds. Thank you. Looking forward to that, Miles. <laughs> and of course, she is holding his hand. She's halfway across the room. And her actual friends show up with yep. jars with bugs drawn on them. Sure. Yep. And, and they mock her mercilessly. And one of these is Stephanie's ex-boyfriend, which I think is real cosmopolitan, <laughs> Stephanie. That's real mature of you, Stephanie, keeping in touch with an ex. <laughs> yeah. It's a real Paul Simon crazy after all these years thing. They call her Mrs. Duckface. Mrs. Duckface. They're mocking her, and she yells at them to stop saying he's not my boyfriend. Justin's watching all this from the top of the stairs. Yeah. And Stephanie does the right thing, which is he's not my boyfriend. But he is my friend. Yes. And then this blonde jackass and camo child says, prove it. Call him Duckface and throw him out of your house. Throw him out of here, he says. So this is the big battle, the climax, the showdown right here. Is she going to throw him out of the house and say, I'm going to be an unkind person who gets the approval of my friends? Or is she going to be a kind person who gets mocked? Kind of neither, though, because she's an unkind person who shuts her friends up by mocking them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she says she's not going to throw Walter out because even if he's not her boyfriend, he's her friend and she doesn't care who knows it. And then Brian, the little blonde shithead, says... That's fun to make fun of other kids. And Stephanie does the classic 90s sitcom trope of putting mean kids in their place by reminding them of traumatic incidents from the past that we never saw. Absolutely. How are you going to teach a kid about the destructive power of sick burns <laughs> without doing destructive sick burns exactly. on them? Exactly. So he says, she says, remember when the kids all called you crying Brian, which is solid. Yeah. That's solid. That is a good one. Uh, or remember the, when everybody called you salad bowl head because of your bad haircut, okay. Harry. That's all right. Or when you shot milk through your nose on Parents' Day twice, girl without a name. (laughs) It's weird that she calls her that. Yeah, not fun to be mocked, is it? And they all fall silent and immediately are like, wow, we've seen the errors of our ways. Please 
you evil woman, please stop making fun of us. The cruel to be kind strategy really never fails in sitcom world. It doesn't at all. It's very, it's a very quick and efficient way to to shut everybody up. Yeah. Which is then reaches its peak in the office episode where Michael comes back in and burns everyone. Oh boom, boom roasted. Boom roasted. <laughs> yes. Remember when they called you salad bowl hair? Boom roasted. Can the kids agree it's no fun to be mocked and they welcome Walter into their group to do their butt project. And then <laughs> you sounded like you said butt project, but that's not it. Brains in their butts. Uh, so she goes upstairs and has like a touching moment with Jesse where Jesse is like, she's like, I'm sorry that I got steamed. Yeah. And, you know, can we still be friends? And Jesse says, you can always trust me. Mm-hmm. The music kicks in. We know that we're learning a lesson. Balance restored to the Tanner home. Stephanie has her new friend and her old friends and all her family members and the moral high ground. She has really pulled off a win sure. here. And she is rewarded with some gentle pan flute mm-hmm. as we slowly mm-hmm. fade out of this episode. Mm-hmm. The episode ends with actual hugging and learning. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. Yep. Holy shit. She says when she grows up, she wants to be just like Uncle Jesse, but wear dresses with lacy bike shorts underneath. I added that part because <laughs> that's all she wears. It's true. So um, yeah, and and like both the hero's journey and sitcoms and TV stories of all kinds, we have to learn a lesson at the end. Yeah. We're a better person for it, but nothing, sitcoms, nothing has truly changed in a way that we can't just pick it up next week. Right. And we're not going to refer to this again. No. I found a WebMD article from 2012 okay. called Social Bullying common in TV shows kids watch. All right. And it says that it talks about a September 2012 study in the Journal of Communication about social aggression in TV. Apparently physical violence on TV and the effects of that on the audience has been very much researched, but social aggression in TV has has received less research. Gotcha. This study found that insults, taunting, other forms of non-physical adre- aggression were found to be especially pervasive in cartoons and sitcoms. On average, they're about 14 incidents an hour of social aggression in the 50 most watched TV shows among 2 to 11-year-olds. There's a quote from the person who wrote the the study or engineered the study saying, we know that when you couch aggression in humor, it increases the chances of imitation because children are less likely to recognize that what being said is hurtful. And she says that a single episode of a sitcom that features this kind of bullying may promote positive messages to older children and negative messages to younger kids because younger kids are not likely to get subtle plot points where inferences have to be made about how someone feels or what someone thinks. So if you're going to tackle bullying, in a very special episode, especially that's going to be targeted to young kids, seven or eight, Stephanie's age, you have to be explicit. Yeah. And I think this episode was like, there could have been a lot done better, but overall there's no sort of mixed message about whether or not. Not, not in the intention of the the story. However, I will say that as far as three camera sitcoms are concerned, they are set up in a way where the joke structure is somebody says something and another person says the meanest possible yeah. thing to them as a joke. We all laugh and we repeat. And there's yep. like two or three of those per page of the script, yep. which adds up to about, I don't know, 90 of those jokes in an episode. Yeah. So it's difficult to even address bullying when the format of your show is you said something, I said something mean, we're laughing at them. And we started with the fat shaming sing-along, I mean, which no one ever, there was no moment at which Uncle Jesse was like, 
maybe we need to re-record that jingle. You know, like no, there. It was like we were all supposed to have collective amnesia and forget that that's how the thing started. Or we're not even supposed to recognize it as bullying because it's a no, times. no. There's no way. Like we all laughed at fat people together yep. to start this episode off. It's hilarious. And then Stephanie solves Walter's being bullied by bullying the kids that are bullying him. Yeah. And she couches it in terms of like this is no fun, is it? Which I is fine, I guess. But it's sort of like also. This is the only way we could come with to get out of this? Yeah. Like, the, we couldn't come up with a nicer way to teach this lesson? I mean, I guess it's just like the bullying association of America used to say, mm. bullying doesn't bully people, bullies bully people. Yeah, it's an important distinction to make. It is. And it's, you know, it's a real good thing that our first lady's platform is is counterbullying, considering that our president is the number one bully in the country yeah, right absolutely. now. absolutely. Who believes you can solve any issue, including matters of international diplomacy, with bullying. Well, let's, see, let's give him a chance. <laughs> let's see where the next two years of his presidency or three weeks, depending on and how things are now. And if we don't all die in a nuclear apocalypse, we'll reevaluate. We'll have learned a lesson, and we can all hug. As we melt together, our flesh <laughs> melts together. As the Terminators rise and, and kill us all. eaten by polar bears with no ice caps to live on. Okay. Cool. So Landed on a real hopeful moment here. <laughs> what, do we, what do we learn in this episode? Look, I want to have learned that doing the right thing is difficult, but we should always try to do the right thing. But what I really learned is that if you are determined enough, you can make your very special episode of your sitcom actually work within story structure without losing any of it. Yeah. So that's what I learned because the rest of this is kind of a mess. Yeah. I learned that it is possible for sitcom writers to be completely oblivious to the mm. fact that fat shaming is bullying someone for their appearance. Yeah. And just make the person who starts the episode doing one thing, then teach a lesson about not doing that thing with no irony. Not at all. Or sense of self-awareness. What about hugs? Um, I think I'd hug Walter. Uh, because that kid is great, and also he did a lot of good work in Nightmare on Elm Street 5, the, the dream child. And it's not his fault he's in a rat video. It's his fault that he's doing brain kissing, though. That's yeah. creepy. But maybe it's because he didn't get any hugs. Maybe. That he's like, a compliment, we're married now. I want to hug Stephanie and be like, it's okay to be nice to people and also tell them you're not their girlfriend. No, that's fair. If I could change my answer, I would, but I can't. <laughs> not according we to are. the international <laughs> podcasting rules as set forth in the Geneva Once Convention. Once you learn something or want to hug someone, <laughs> that is your answer forever. <laughs> well, yeah, this was, a, this was a solid episode to yeah. review, whether or not it hit its mark. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in, folks. Yeah, we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. If you want to visit us online, our website is huggingandlearning.com, where you can find links to all the articles we talked about today. Subscribe to our podcast, rate and review, and tell your friends about us. You can email us at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us about the experiences you've had with things we talked about. Or you can send us suggestions on which episodes we should do next. Our podcast is produced by Miles Pulaski, who also wrote our theme music. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chelsea. See you next time. Bring snacks! Bring snacks!